Today's lesson is titled Freedom from Pornography and Sexual Addiction. Um, this is a very, um, you could say, mature subject. Um, and <laughs> and I don't just want to like ramble on about it, but I, I want to be very focused, if we can, to learn um, God's way of, of sexuality. Because uh, we have to remember God made sex, God made it for man, you know, God made food the same way he made sex, you know, and he made it for man to enjoy, for man to have, and, um, but, you know, obviously there's a distortion in what God made, right, um, and you often find, like, even, like, in the Roman Empire and, um, civilizations that are advanced when, when, um, and you, you'll hear this in probably other preachings or sermons, but um, most societies begin to fall and crumble when they have a, uh, a very open interpretation to sexuality and also when overeating or, 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 or food becomes a big part of the culture. You know what I mean? It's just gluttonous and it's just, you know, you, you eat past satisfaction into just, you know, it's it's a satisfying of the flesh that is beyond um, that feeds into the carnal nature because the nature is unsatisfiable, you know. And so, food. The Bible often uses the term of of the anatomy of the belly, right? The inward man, um, as a way to talk about the selfishness of man, the greediness of man, uh, the gluttony of man. That man is 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 to live after his own belly. Right to to the fulfillment to the satisfaction of his own flesh, but obviously God has a plan. It's different from maybe how the world views sexuality and and food. We're not going to talk about food today, but obviously you know we're talking about gaining freedom from pornography and sexual addiction, and this is going to help in in with any addiction, with any addiction. Okay, and this is going to help you be able to help someone else, because how many people? Um, you don't have to raise your hands, but I mean, we can all do a nod probably in our own head. Know someone who struggles with this, right? Or, or even beyond that, maybe not just pornography, but like different kinds of sexual addictions, right? Like including masturbation, including a lot of uh, uh, various amount of other things, right? And so we want to know, okay, well, um, as a Christian um sh- you know, if you're not married, should you be masturbating? Can you masturbate? These are questions that people ask and don't, we don't talk about. They're taboo. You know, it's not something that you, you talk about on an everyday basis. But let's take a, pick, a, a, a page out of God's book and let's just see how it's dealt with. Because here's the thing. A lot of people will suffer with sexual sins and think that and have this feeling that they can, they're never going to be right with God because the addiction is too strong. Sexual addiction is one of the most powerful addictions that someone can have in their life to the point of that every time that they fall, they believe that they're out of fellowship with God to the point of no return, right? Because we make promises. I'll never do it again. I swear. I, I put it and we put it on moms and we put it on everybody, right? And we say, I, you know, we swear on this person, I swear on that person. We, we, we prom- make promises to God and, and oftentimes ones we can't keep. And um, it becomes a, a, an issue because the, when we start making those promises, we're just, we're just saying that um, 
we're going to challenge our flesh to do what's in its own nature, to, to, to stay away from what's in its own nature, right? Because guess what? Sexuality is good. God made you with that desire. God made us with that desire. But here's the issue is it's used wrong. So I know we often go and we talk about grace and we do and we do a lot of things. And this is still a conversation about grace. This is still a conversation with Jesus at the center. This is still that conversation. But we have to go to a foundation first of our standing with God. We need a foundation to know that we have standing with God before dealing with our issues as believers. Right? We need to to first deal with, wait, if I fall or if I'm falling, if I'm coming here and I've messed up and I struggle with this, right? Where do I stand with God right after? Right? Where's my standing with God? So we're going to deal with that first. And so um, let's go into the slides. So man naturally in his own nature has hard thoughts toward God. Man in his flesh does not think well of God. Okay. Every time that we go through something, we go through something bad. Our first response is, okay, like, why did God let this happen? Right. It's in man's flesh. It's in his own nature to think that somehow when when bad things happen to us, that it's God's fault. But we dealt with that in the previous Bible studies, right, where we talked about, you know, why there's suffering in the world if there's a God of love. And we understand that God gave the earth to Adam and Eve, right? He gave the earth to them. He gave them the keys to the BMW. And what they did with the earth was a choice that they made, right? And so man has hard thoughts toward God. And so... Um, for uh, John 1.46 says, Daniel said unto him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And so, even in this situation, even though Jesus was doing miracles, right? Jesus was this, this, this mighty, powerfully used man of God at the time. No one really knew who he was. So, we understand who he is now, looking back. He's God in the flesh, right? But here, this man is like, uh, what good can come from Nazareth? A man just naturally has this negative mind that, you know, nothing's good. We just think bad, right? And not only do we think bad, but we think bad of God. So here's the thing. What do you think God's response is to that? God's response is in Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise thou the riches of his goodness and the forbearance and long-suffering, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So you see here, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Okay? Repentance means a change of mind. So when man has, man natu- in his nature has hard thoughts toward God, negative thoughts toward God, right? In situations. So God's response to man is to show him how good he is to change his mind. So if man has bad thoughts toward God, right? Blame towards God. What does God do? God's desire is to show the man or woman how good he is to change their mind. God wants to change your mind about how good he is. And so here's the thing is that if someone took a piece of wood, right? And exchanged it for gold, but you're like, no, 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 I, I, I want to keep my wood. God is saying, here's some gold. And you're like, mm, I like my wood. Let me keep my wood. My wood is my favorite wood. Right? And God's like, 
can I have it for gold, right? And you're like, no, I like my wood, right? So this is kind of like how, how man is with God. But God is saying, here's my, my goodness. Here's what I have for you. And this is in reference to everything. This is in reference to your healing, your, your prosperity, your finances, your life in every aspect. But even sexually speaking, that God has a good plan for you. God has a plan for you. God has a design of, of sexually speaking, of something good for man to have, right? But guess what? It's confined in something called marriage. So God's idea, plan for man, right? To have a, 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 a good relationship with the idea of sex is through marriage, okay? So what the devil distorts it, right? But God's, what God's plan is saying is, is that God's saying, my plan is better. What I have for you is better than what the world has. The world sleeps around, does whatever, masturbation, pornography is not wrong. It's included in marriages. People in marriages begin to include, uh, to spice things up, begin to include pornography in their marriages. And what ends up happening is they become desensitized to one another, right? And it's never enough. And then they add, a per, they add people to their marriages and then they add other things to their marriages that were never meant to be added because what we do is we take something valuable, right? And we overuse it. We overuse it to the point that it becomes not valuable anymore. And so this is why uh, 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 masturbation and, and pornography are dangerous because what they do is they desensitize us, right? They, they affect us in a negative way. And so I'm going to keep going. So since we are talking about certain sins, we are going to first establish something powerful about, about having confidence in our God, having confidence that we're saved. So I want to point this out. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to say this. Um, uh, this is not what we're talking about today. But um, when you are baptized, okay, that's for us. Okay, that's for us. We're more baptized in the name of Jesus. That's for us. God gives us the ability to know the day and time that we were physically and spiritually washed of our sins. Okay, God doesn't need baptism, but the Bible says there's one baptism and that baptism is for us. Right. Just like when someone marries you. Right. They give you what? A ring. Do you need the ring to know you're married? To someone? No, you don't need the ring. But what is it a symbol of? It is a symbol of that marriage, right? So when we talk about it, when we talk about baptism and being saved, you can have confidence in God when you're saved, right? How do you know when you were saved? Well, there's things you can do, right, for yourself to have confidence that I am saved. Okay, now when you're saved, there's a promise on God's end that he is good. One second.
um, one of you guys guide her in. She's around the corner talking. Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm good. So, boom. So, we're going back, right? Having confidence in God for salvation, right? So Matthew 7, 21, I'm going to kind of upset religion for a minute because religion uses this verse to really rob people of confidence. We've talked about some of this before, but some of you guys are new. You probably haven't heard it. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay? But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Okay, so here's 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 an interesting saying. This is Matthew 7. Okay, this is written to the Jews. This is not written to the church. You have to understand that it's not written to the church. So you're, you're, you're taught that this is written to the church, the Christians, right? But it's not. It's in the Gospels, yes. But it's written. So listen to the words that it says. Okay? I'm going to point something out. He that does the will of my Father. Okay, we're going to define that. Many will say in that day. So there's a specific day that it's talking about, right? A specific time. And he'll say... I never knew you. So for the Lord to say he never knew you, that means he never knew you. That means he never, he never met you, right? He never knew you. So here's a few things. So three things, right? But he that does the will of my father which is in heaven, okay? Many will say in that day, okay, this is the day that he returns, and he'll say to them, they'll say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We were used by you. We've done many wonderful things. He'll say, I never knew you. So for God to say he never knew you means he never knew you. Does that make sense? See, a lot of people follow signs and they follow like spiritual things, right? And they think that that makes someone from God. Okay? But what it's saying here is, I never knew you. You can do these things, but still not know God. It's an abuse of faith. And if you abuse faith, if you use faith without God, like calling on the universe, right? It's considered iniquity. It's considered sin. Now, here's the thing. I'm not telling you that to condemn anybody, but I'm telling you because what's the will of the Father? And, this is, and he says right here in John 640, this is Jesus speaking. And remember, he's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the Jews. The Gospels are not written to the church. They're written to the Jews. So there's a, a, an amount of Jews that are there with him, right? They understand the law of Moses. They understand everything. They understand the Torah. They understand all of that stuff. And so he's saying, and this is the will of him that sent me. So he's talking about Elohim. He's talking about God, okay? He's saying, God, what's that will? That everyone which sees the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So remember when it says the last day, that he says in the last day many will call my name? Guess what? 
For those that believe on him, we're not calling his name. He's not talking to believers in that sentence. He's not saying, so if you believe in Jesus, he's not talking to you. He's talking to people that don't know him. So never let someone rob you of your security that you're going to go to heaven, okay, because of one passage that's misunderstood. Because he says, what's, what's the condition to going to heaven? That you believe on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus faithfully obeyed the law. No man could do the law. Everyone that's alive, here's the proof. God made an atonement system under the law where they sacrificed animals, right? For what? Because he knew once he gave the law that man couldn't do the law. Why would he give the atonement system? Why would he give the animal sacrifices? Why would he do that if he, if he didn't have it in his mind? I'm going to give him the law because they ask for it, right? Mm-hmm. They asked for the law. Yeah. What was before the law? So from Adam to Moses, there's no law, but men are called righteous. Men are called righteous. And the Bible says that they're righteous by faith, that Abraham believed God. He amen God in Hebrew. It's amen. He amen God. And it was accounted to him, imputed. God made him righteous apart from his behavior. There was no law of Moses yet. Moses wasn't even born yet, but he was a righteous man. How is that possible? Because he had faith in something that transcended time, which is the same thing here. And this is the will of him that sent me. Is he believed in the seed? Who's the seed? The seed that was pro- that promised. So Adam and Eve were promised a seed that would bruise the serpent's head. In the book of Revelations, it says the serpent becomes a dragon and the serpent is the devil. Right? So we understand that Jesus dying outside the camp, right? on a hill called Golgotha, he's crucified, in that his hill is pierced, his foot is pierced, right? So that his feet are, are hurt by Satan, right? But in turn, he crushes Satan's head. Okay, so that's the fulfillment of that prophecy in a sense now that when we, when we read this, why is it important to believe on it? Because even Adam believed on him. Even Adam believed in a coming Messiah that would redeem the whole world. Even Abraham believed in the seed, the coming Messiah, right? If you go into, um, remember we, re- we read in um, Genesis 15, where it says, um, and God pointed out to him the stars. It's the Hebrew word kovav, which is the illustrious prince. He pointed the star, right? The stars are not for astrology. Because what man does is takes the stars and make it about himself, Right? But the stars are about God. They're about his plan to redeem humanity from their fallen state. How does any of us make it to heaven when none of us can do right, good enough, and enough amount of good on our own to make it to heaven? We can't, right? There's no way. So we have to have someone who stands on our behalf, which in the Old Testament was the lamb, right? In the, in the offering system. And in the new covenant, Jesus becomes the lamb. For all of humanity. He dies for the sins of the entire world. Right? Paying for your judgment. All of our judgment in this room. So if you feel like you're you're beating yourself up. You're condemning yourself. Right? Because you sin. Guess what? Which one of us are honorable? None. Who's measuring? No one should be measuring. Right? The difference is in our mind we have a time frame. Right? If If I made a big mistake six months ago versus a big mistake two days ago, we feel it more from two days ago than six months ago. 
And so we measure whether or not we're right with God based on how we feel about our standing with God. But when we believe in Jesus, it's supposed to be that he is enough. That way we may have everlasting life, meaning what? It's not temporal life. It's forever life. It's to forever, after this life, not have to live in this world that, 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 that we cry, we break down, we're emotional, we're in turmoil, we're in chaos, right? Where, where, where everything is sensual, we're, we're stuck to the six senses. We get opened up to the seventh sense, right? Of heaven. That's, it's kind of weird, right? Seven is a completion, but we only have six senses. Six is the number of man. Man was made on the sixth day, but then what? The seventh sense is what? The spiritual sense. It's a com- it completes our existence to be spiritual. So check this out. Um, 1 John 4, 4, 17 says, Here it is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, not because as he is, so are we in this world. Referring to Jesus. As Jesus is, if Jesus is sinless, right? And he represents us to God, What happens? I can have boldness. When, when I'm in front of God, if I come as me, what happens? I know me. I'm sinful. I'm just a man. I am just a guy. I'm, I'm, any of us are capable of any sin on, at any moment, in any time, if put in the right situation. So it's, it's, if I were to approach God as myself, of course, I'd, be, you know, I'd hide under this little thing right here and just be like, ah, okay. But guess what? Since I'm having faith in Jesus, what happens? My standing becomes secure and it's unchangeable. It's unchangeable. So John 10, 28, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So, let, so check this out. Jesus is saying that if you, if you believe in him, no one can take you out of his hand. Why are we talking about this again? Because we're talking about addictions, right? We're talking about struggles. We're talking about addiction to pornography. We're talking about sexual addictions. We're talking about even bigger things, right? Things that we are compulsively addicted to. Why talk about this? Because what I'm telling you is as you struggle, your faith, your ability to overcome is found in what? Believing that you still have right standing after you fall. You still have to believe that after you watch after a person watches pornography, after a person is uh, masturbation, after a person is lusting, after a person is doing something, the church, Christian church, has told them, you're not right with God anymore. You're filled with evil spirits. Go away, right? But what, what the Bible is saying is, no, you need to reaffirm that you have standing with God. You have standing with God. You're right with God, not because of you. This is why Jesus dies on the cross. He pays for the sin of the entire world so that even past, present, and future, Jesus wouldn't matter. If, if, if he didn't forgive future sins, Jesus wouldn't matter to us today, right? Because it's 2,000 years after he died on the cross. So the, the Old Testament fathers look, look to Jesus, okay? We look back to him. They look forward to him so they never had the actuality of a Messiah to save them, right? But in order to be in his kingdom, we first must be saved from our sin. In order order for us to be, our bodies to be redeemed, Jesus dies, buried, and resurrects. Why? So that we can resurrect with him and we can be transformed in body to be with him in a new body that is not sensual like this. 
Because when man sinned, man made the body sensual. It's a fallen body, right? It decays. Now, here's, here's the beautiful thing about today's lesson. So we're going to talk about holiness just for a second. Holiness is in the Greek hagos. Hagnos is a noun, okay? That means it's a possession. Holiness is not go be holy and go do something holy. Even if you, if you talk to even the most Hebrew scholars, they're going to tell you it's not be holy, it's you are holy. The Old Testament in biblical Hebrew is not written in future tense. We talked about this. It's written in past and present tense only. Okay? It's not really talked about much because no one really understands why, why it's like that. Because remember, he told Abraham, you are a father of many nations before he was ever a father. He's speaking in past tense about something in the future. Why? Because that's how they certify in faith that something's going to happen, right? This is why when we talk about, oh, um, maybe this will happen, maybe that will happen, right? On Sunday, we talked about fixing your language and stop talking in potential. Start talking in as if it had already happened. I am blessed. I am strong. I have standing with God. Have in present tense, right? I'm not going to be moved. That's future, right? I'm not going to be moved. Leaves potential to be moved. No. I can't be moved. Present. I haven't been moved. Even try that one. I haven't been moved. There's something about it. And then when you mean it in the future, I haven't been moved, right? It's weird. It's a weird faith that just certifies whatever you're saying is going to be the reality. So here, holiness is a possession. It's a noun. So what else is a noun? We talk about, let's talk about maybe like, for example, something like diabetes. I use this on purpose. This is an example on purpose. Okay, diabetes is a illness, a sickness, right? Something, some, it's an issue that man deals with. Okay, but there's symptoms, right? Okay, are the symptoms diabetes? No. They come from having diabetes, right? So when man understands that he is holy, it's a noun. It, has, it doesn't involve action. It involves a personification. It's a person, place, or thing. You are holy. Because why? Because he's holy. Because he is your God, you're holy. That means you're separate. It doesn't only just mean separate, it means also dedicated too. It's dedication and separation. It's the same word. It's, it's in the same word. So even in, in, even in Hebrew, it has the same, the same meaning. So when you're talking here, God has a plan for sex. God has a plan for our sexuality. Okay, and that's what we're talking about today. It's a primarily, we're talking about many addictions, right? It, it, it can cover any kind of addiction, but specifically the example today is sexual addiction. Why? Pornography, masturbation, um, all the things that we can be into as human beings, right? We all have the potential to be engaged because it's a natural desire that God gave man, but then it's perverted. But God is saying, I have a holy plan for your sexuality, a separate plan that's different from how everyone else does it. And it's for a reason. It's for the sake of the benefit of your body. It's for the benefit of your body. But here's the thing. I won't stop doing what everyone else is doing, right? Until what? Until I believe God's plan, without a doubt, is better. God knows we're, we, we know what's good, right? You know what's good food, right? You know what you like, right? As far as good food. Since you know what you like as far as good food, 
What does that mean? How does that translate to this? Is that there is a goodness that God has for you in your sexuality, okay? That's called, we, we call it marriage, okay? There's, there's an English word marriage, but it's, 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 it's confined to something on purpose, okay? And I'm gonna explain this, and this is actually the most graceful thing that you can ever learn. It has to do with grace, okay? Because what's the first marriage between God and man? Okay, marriage is in a covenant, right? What, what's the requirements for a covenant? Blood, vows, witnesses, okay? It's not just because you've slept with somebody that you're married to them. A lot of people have that, in, oh, you know, I'm mar- I slept with them, so I'm married, you know, right? I've, I've actually heard this, like people speak this. I even heard it today, randomly, not even, not even trying to hear it. I was, just to be frank with you. So God has a, the opposite of separation is called commonness, like everybody else, like everyone else. So you know that there's a beautiful thing about the Jews, and I love this. I love this so much because guess what? They're the smallest population, right? They're the small, one of the smallest populations of the world of any ethnicity. But guess what? That small population, if you go to the Nobel Prize list, they're the biggest population on that list. When it comes to millions, money, they're the biggest population on that list. Because God is very good at taking the weak things of this world or the insignificant things or the smallest army and winning the greatest battle. That's why he could take a cross, right? And destroy anything in your way from making it to heaven. Anything in your way from being, being in heaven with God and being perfected and your body being perfected, right? Past your mistakes, past your sins, past your failures, okay? So check this out. God's holiness helps our sexuality because it makes how he sees it separate from how everyone else does it. God has a very good plan for our sexuality within the confines of marriage. And I'm going to explain this, and this is the best way. When something is confined, it, it explodes. When something is constantly used, it dissipates. Okay? The reason why people, experts will even say that your sexual energies can be, they're not, they don't, a lot of people say, well, if I don't masturbate or if I don't uh, watch pornography, I'm going to explode. I'm going to go crazy, right? A lot of people say this, but what we don't understand is that our, our sexual energy is actually transmuted into creativity. Do you know that some of the most depressed times in your life will probably be because you're you're overusing your sexuality or you're misusing your sexuality, you're, you're, you're using that energy that God gave you, right? To be creative, to make money, to be successful, to do, to do t- very, to be gifted at something, right? Because that's how it's transmuted. So don't think that, oh, if you don't use it, then you're going to explode or implode, right? No, 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 that's not. It tr- it's transmuted. It's transmuted. It goes, it goes, it, it takes your creativity and, and amplifies it to the next level. So when we talk about God has a very good plan for it, he wants to confine it so that it's explosive. So that it's the best sex that you have. 
I know we don't talk about this in church and Christianity is taboo, but God has a plan. God wants you to have the best sex in your marriage. What, but that's why he confines it. But we're taught, see, in, in the Bible, the Bible says marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. It's honorable in all. That means as long as things are consensual between you and your husband and wife, without adding a third person, without adding a third person in thought and in lust, right? Between you and your wife. Do what makes you both happy. Do what satisfies both of you. That's the Bible's advice. And the bed is undefiled. It's left undefiled. It's not defileable. If, it's, if your sexuality is expressed in the context of marriage, that means using it in marriage won't have the same effect, effect as just sleeping around with everybody. Okay? This isn't to, this isn't to knock anyone who's, who's, um, who lives a certain lifestyle or if you're participating in this, obviously what we want to challenge here is that, hey, maybe consider God's plan for your sexuality. You may not have the strength to do it now, but if you keep hearing the word of God, if you keep coming to to the cross, if you keep trusting Jesus, the strength will come and you'll understand and see that his plan for your money, his plan for your sexuality, his plan for your body, his plan for your mind, his plan for your heart are all better. Why did why did Jesus feed the multitudes? Because he cares if you're hungry. Why did Jesus heal the blind and sick? Because he cares that you have a high quality life. Why did Jesus cast out a devil out of the maniac of Gadara or Gadarene? Because he cares that you're not oppressed by devils. He cares that you're mentally sane, right? Why did Jesus calm storms? Because he cares if you're at peace, if you have shalom, you have, right? This is why his city is Jerusalem, Salem, city of peace. Salem is Shalem, Shalom, right? City of peace. That's his city. Why is that his city? Why is it still, why is it still the same name after all these years? Right? Because his plan is to, to, for you to live in peace. And, and Shalom is wellness, wholeness, goodness. It's all encompassing. It's not just this idea of, oh, um, I have a peace of mind. No, 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 no. It's more than that. What, what does it take to get to a peace of mind? What does that mean? Your money to be right? Your relationships to be right, right? What else? Your job to be right, your career to be right, right? Your body to be right, to be healthy. What does that mean? That's what shalom means, is to have these things right and in order. Because God knows these things will affect your peace. So guess what? He affects these things. People try to say he's just spiritual. No, he cares about the physical. This is why he says in wisdom, what are five? There's five things of wisdom in the Proverbs, right? There's five blessings of wisdom. Um, Riches, honor, right? Everyone wants honor. Everybody wants respect. Length of days, live a long life, right? Pleasures and peace. So God wants you to have pleasure. God could have, if when God created sex, he could have just did this. You throw up a baby, blah, right? Or you could lay an egg, go in the corner, boop. One egg here. All right. <laughs> Go over here and lay another egg, right? No, God, God, the greatest thing man could do is create a, another person. One of the greatest things we can do. And he decided to make that one of the most pleasurable things we can do. 
Think about that. That's insane, right? So, God has plans for us. So, here, Matthew 19, he says, And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made, the, made them male and female? So this is Jesus speaking, talking about Adam and Eve. He's quoting from the Torah. He's quoting from Genesis. He's saying, He made begin, male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and, they shall, and the twain shall be one flesh. Okay? Remember when, when Adam says, Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone? Right? If you, go to, if you go to the Chabad, which is the dot, dot, dot work, okay, you can go to the Torah and you can read the whole first chapter in English, translated from Hebrew, by, he, by Jews, right? By Hebrews. That's the best place, right? To re, right? If you're going to translate Hebrew, it might as well be a Hebrew translating Hebrew. Um, and guess what? It doesn't say woman came from rib. It says woman was taken as half a part of men. It doesn't say woman came from rib. King James says women came from rib. Why? It's a, it's, it's a 16th century subjugation. Women weren't equal. Okay? But there's now an equality. That is the true understanding. Right? So when he's talking here, he's saying that, uh, uh, For this cause man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Notice here. One flesh. We're not talking about one spirit. One flesh. Okay? That means they're uniting in body. That's the intercourse. Okay. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together. Joined, I want you to think of this, a glued piece of paper, right? If I have a piece of paper and I glue it to another piece of paper, but I rip that piece of paper apart. God's plan for marriage is not because he's a dictator and he, and he hates you and he just wants you to be with one person. Okay. Because remember, look what he says here. Then say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and put her away? He said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So God's original plan was a good plan, right? We understand it's good because when he made man, he made them good. Very good, right? Is it you have a piece of paper, you have glue and you have another piece of paper. When this happens, when it rips... Okay, what happens? You rip. You rip. You it hurts. If 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 you've had if you've had intercourse with somebody physically and you became one flesh with them, okay. After time, it's not it's it it, it becomes numb, okay. But this is what you keep doing: rip, rip, join, rip, join, rip, okay. That's not God's plan for you. God's plan is not, that, is not for your soul to be ripped in half again and again. It happens, yes. But this is why Jesus says, in me you're complete. Because even though you've been ripped in life, right? You've been hurt in life. Whatever that gap is, right? This little graph chart. Imagine the market going up and down, right? The investment market. What Jesus is saying, with, here, you're, with me, you're always up here. I, however far you're down, I make the difference. It's a, and it's a, it's a past tense, right? Because he already died. You are complete right now. Stop trying to become complete. Stop trying to become whole. Understand that you're given wholeness as a gift, right? But you see here, the, the ripping away, 
it affects us in such a negative way. You'll find that people who are constantly masturbating and watching pornography, their eyes become dim. It affects their physical body. I'm not saying to look around and, and no, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you're going to find that pretty often. When people are being ripped apart, okay, constantly joining, right, and then constantly disjoining, something happens to you and it's not positive. It's not God's plan for you. God's plan for you isn't to constantly be hurt again and again and again and again and again and again, okay? And so from the beginning, it wasn't so. From the beginning, God created man, woman to be joined together and not separated. Why? Because the original marriage is God, right? He's the husband. His people are the bride, right? What did God do? He made a covenant. Who's the covenant for, God or man? Man. Why man? Because man is insecure. Man needs validation that what? God will never leave him. God will always be on his side. Or else what happens to man? See, this is the thing. When you go around, people don't think about this. This is probably too raw, but I, not too raw for this conversation because I'm going to be blunt about it. But when you go around from person to person, here's the issue you start seeing other people's bodies, okay? And when you start seeing other people's bodies, what happens? Especially both male and female, we become insecure. Why? Because we start measuring everything. We start comparing everything. And since we start comparing everything, what happens? Our self-confidence? Because this is what people especially if they're not in a good place, they'll say, you're not like her or you're not like him. You don't do what they did, right? And when you're watching pornography, what happens? Even sometimes, like, and especially if you're married, if you're watching pornography, what happens is your, your spouse becomes uglier to you. Is she ugly? Is he ugly? No. But they become uglier because you're dissipating something. You're constantly using something and entertaining your mind with other things that then make what you're looking at less valuable. Is it really less valuable? No. Is it really less valuable? No. This is why, like, it's, it's, there's easy signs to tell when you're, when you're um, being cheated on or you're being, um, or someone in your, in your relationship is doing these things, watching pornography or, or, or masturbating, um, thinking about other things, right? It's easy to tell because you feel you went from feeling like the world, like, oh man, I came up marrying this person. I came up being with this person. And then all of a sudden, you feel randomly out of nowhere, like you're worthless. You don't know why. You can't explain it. That person out of nowhere starts making you feel worthless. Whether through direct or indirect ways right? Direct or indirect ways, you start becoming, you don't know your value anymore. And so it's important to understand that. And this is why God's intention was for one man and one woman. Why? And for you to be married one time. Why? So that you don't go through the hurt and pain of having to see all these different people's bodies, right? And comparing everything. 
And when you start comparing everything, that insecurity, just your, your security in yourself, in your value, begin to plummet. Right? And crash. So Genesis 128, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So you hear, you see, God tells them, one of the first commandments is to go have sex. Go multiply, right? I know it says fruitful there, and that's a nice um, non-taboo word, but it means go have sex, okay? I know I'm just going to say it, right, as it is. So marriage and sex are God's idea. Is that why after the fall, man and woman put on figs? One of the reasons why? Because you had said before, and one of the things we understand is Satan can... Satan cannot tempt us. Hey, what's up, buddy? <laughs> cannot tempt us beyond what the law has been given. Okay. So the first thing that God said is be fruitful, multiply. Yeah, this is before the fall, though, right? Right, but what he said. Yeah. Before before the fall, he said be fruitful, multiply. Yep. So one of the things that they did was cover each other. Yep. They cover themselves and say, no, we're going to separate ourselves. Well, well, there's a, there's a, there's a shame for the body now after right. after the fall. So, but coming, coming back really quick, marriage and sex are God's idea. He made them up. He said, here, right? Overindulging diminishes it in value and dissipates. Um, God confines it to marriage and it is meant to be explosive and satisfying. It, it's meant to be that way. God has a plan for it to be satisfying. Here's the thing. If you, if you are married... Or um, you need to communicate what you like and don't like. You're going to be, if you're going to planning to be with someone forever, I'm saying that for the podcast. If you're planning to be with someone forever, okay, communicate, stop hiding all the things you don't like about what the person is doing. Communicate, okay? I grew up in a very dark environment, being molested. Okay, being very open to the sexual world since I was five years old. The first time I seen pornography was five years old. I grew up seeing it all. I've seen incest. I've seen a lot of things. I've been a part of a lot of things because of the fact of how I grew up. I didn't become a Christian until I was 16. And all my sexual experiences happened before 16 that really made me aware of life and sexuality in a way that's not normal. That's not normal to a normal person. But God has done great work in me in healing me and bringing wholeness to my mind. So I'm not speaking from inexperience. I'm not speaking from a place where, what does this guy know? He's not married, right? God's word knows. God, God knows man and God gave his word for man so he can help man know himself, right? So um, Titus 2 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's, here's something. Here's God's answer. God's answer is grace. In Hebrew, it's hased. It's hased. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That's past tense. That's talking about Jesus, right? Grace is a person. Grace is a person. This is why Jesus is Yeshua, meaning salvation, meaning deliverance, saving. He's saving you from something, right? 
not just from hell, but he's saving you from your sickness. He's saving you from the hurt, the pain, the aches of the world. He's saving you from what would break you. He knows what breaks you and he wants to save you from it. And here, look at this, present, teaching us. When man teaches, he teaches behavior modification. He says, modify behavior. Stop, stop doing it, stop doing it. That's all he says, that's all man says is stop. Man doesn't know how to help. But what grace knows how to do is to teach us and it denies ungodliness in us. When we have God living inside of our hearts, here's the beauty about that. It denies ungodliness for you and worldly lusts. It speaks to you, this, this isn't what you're meant for. You're meant for glory. You're meant for beauty. God has plans of, of grandeur, of, of, of amazing things for you and your body. He wants your face to shine. He wants your eyes to shine. But when you're constantly diminishing yourself sexually through pornography, through masturbation, right? Through these things, what happens? You're robbed of that physical beauty. And I'm going to prove that in the Bible today. That God promises physical glory to reflect through your physical body. If you decide, if you follow his plan for sex and remain sexually pure. And remember, God can rebuild the virgin. In the Old Testament, it says that God rebuilt, and that word virgin is the word Alma, Hebrew word Alma, meaning hidden gem. It's a hidden gem. God wants your sexuality to be this special thing that's so special, and it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. And it makes it valuable, right? And he can rebuild your value. If you have your value diminished, he can rebuild your value. He can restore the virgin to you to virginity, which means not, not to virginity in a sense of, of physically speaking, right? He's talking about a, the spiritual feeling where you feel pure again, where you feel sincere again, where you feel genuine again. Because there's something about doing sexuality wrong that darkens your perspective, that makes you see world through a dark lens. And so, um, so again, man's teaching modifies behavior. Grace transforms the heart, affects the desire to do things God's way. You don't even have to have the desire to do things God's way. You don't. It's not required. All you have to, all you have to do is let him live in you and let him work that in you. Keep hearing the word and let him work that desire in you. God transforms. See, God makes you holy. You can't make yourself holy. God declares you holy. You can't make it yourself. You can't do it yourself. I can't separate myself. God separates you and then your lifestyle begins to become this separate thing that's this, that, that just increases your value. It increases your stock. It increases your stock price, okay? Which is... Will you sell yourself for one million? Two million? Three million? Four million? No, you're priceless. You're priceless in the eyes of God. There's no amount of money that God can put on your value and my value. I say mine because I, I, I believe. I mean, you know, God cares about me. But <laughs> So God's way is security. Marriage is between God and man as well. And God knows we would never feel loved until he did it legally and through a covenant. What does that mean? Until Jesus died, man could never have true security 
that he could make it to heaven in spite of being a sinner. Until Jesus died. And a woman in a relationship will never in her heart feel the true fulfillment of a relationship until a man honors her with marriage. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You mess up when you dangle. When you dangle the trust. You mess up. You will break a woman when you start doing this and you say, I don't know if I want this anymore. That's what breaks a woman. Because a woman will trust you to the point of, I'll always be here, right? I'll always be here. But when you start dangling, oh, I don't know if I want this anymore. I don't know if I'm like, I feel the same. I don't know if this is going to last. What happens to your heart? Because religion has taught, taught us that God does this with people. Religion has religion in the world teaches this is that oh God is dangling your salvation. God is dangling your security. God is dangling your security and saying, Oh, are you sure you're saved? You're in sin. No, we're all in sin at all times. When are you not in sin? Please someone tell me. And who's measuring again, right? Like, let's go get that guy and let's talk to him and let's pull him out. Because guess what? If you were if you talk like this in all your relationships, if you were just like I have your back. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere, right? If you started talking like that to the people you love, I'm always going to be here. You started talking like, right? No one can take you from me. As long as I'm graced with life on this earth, I'm going to be by your side, right? If we gave people, if we gave our relationships that level of word, the same way God treats us, right? This is why the Bible says, love your wife as Christ loves the church. How does he love the church? He says he'll never leave you and never forsake you. But when do we say that in our relationships? No. Right? When do we mean it in our relationships? We never say that stuff. Because guess what? We're always thinking of leaving and we're always thinking of finding a reason to forsake, right? Because we don't value what we have. This is why, you know, it's typically in men, they don't value what they have. Right? What happens? This person becomes so unvalued over the course of time and they feel so unvalued that they end up walking away. And then once they walk away, then the man is like, no, 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 come back. You know, I, I, I value you. And it's too late because you can't start just showing those actions out of nowhere. You spend enough time proving through actions that you don't value that person. So this conversation is all about what? Why abstain? Why abstain from these things? First of all, so you can regain your value. Okay? Second of all, because God has a plan that's his plan for sexuality when you have sex, when it's in the confines of marriage, is supposed to be better than what the world has to offer. It's supposed to be better than what everyone else is doing. Now, so, here's how God says to deal with it. Well, angel, like, okay, I get this. How do I practically deal with trying to maintain this, this sexual pureness, right? Well, Joseph, Genesis 39, 9 says, There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Notice this. There's no law of Moses when this happens. Joseph is alive before Moses. 
But Joseph considers adultery here great wickedness. Okay? He considers it great wickedness. So look what he does. And she caught him by his garment. He's always losing his coat. Right? Lie with me and left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. So God's advice is to run. When I have a son, if God graces me with a son and he's of age to use a computer, I'm going to tell my son, I love you and I trust you, but I don't trust your flesh. I don't trust your human nature. Your nature has the desire to hop on that computer and through advertisements of the internet be led to pornography, right? And guess what? And if he's just a kid, if he watches it enough, it'll diminish his value of himself because what he sees is not reality. And when he looks at himself, he'll always feel less than. He'll always feel less than. And you can become addicted to feeling less than where you constantly keep going and reaffirming that you're less than. It's an addicting feeling. And this happens to a lot of people. If you are the only, if, if in God's perfect world, right? In, 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 in a sense, right? Let's just go, go here. If it's just you and your and the husband and the wife, and that's all you know, right? What's there to compare to? What's there to compare to? What insecurity is there to have? None. Because you get to enjoy the person without having to worry about, oh, but they've been with that person and that person. And am I good enough? Like, am I, am I, is my body good enough? I'm just saying, God has a greater plan for it. So what does he say? Run, flee, flee from it. And he calls it great wickedness, okay? So let's keep going. Um, God's advice is to run. Philippians 4, 3, 3 says, for we are the circumcision, okay? Which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So he's saying, I, I'm, I'm of the circumcision. I follow the law, okay? I, I've, since my youth, I've kept the law. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't, you know, I haven't stolen. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done these things. I haven't had any gods before me. But he says, but I still have no confidence in the flesh. I still don't trust my good works. I still don't trust this body to do the right thing. I still don't trust it. Because guess what? Given the right situation, we will compromise. We, will, we all will compromise. No matter how noble um, books make people sound, somewhere in their life before they were noble, I'm pretty sure they had moments of compromise. Why? Because they're humans. We're humans. We all have moments of compromise where we find something that's we find worth in that moment giving up, right? We'll, we'll, we'll give up what our ultimate goal is for something short-term in pleasure. Now here, this is how it works. This is how addiction works, okay? Completely, thoroughly. Addiction starts with temptation, okay? So here's the thing. Here's the craziest thing. If you're in a movie theater and all of a sudden they start having um, sex on, 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 the, on, the, on the scene and it starts arousing you, okay? Here's the issue. Oftentimes we buy the ticket I don't have nothing against movies. I go, I go to the movies. I'm going to probably watch Captain Marvel soon. I'm just saying, you know. But if you see it, here's the issue. Sometimes it stays in your body. And then you don't know why, 